This is Unfiltered, episode 291 for March 18th, 2020. Just two weeks ago, there were 126 reported coronavirus cases in 17 states. Here's where we are now. The virus has spread to all 50 states. There are more than 6,300 reported cases, and at least 109 people have died. Where have you been? I've been looking for you. Welcome back to Unfilter, episode 291 of the show that's watching all of the news so you don't have to. Yes, yes, we're back. At least I think we might be. So far, it's just me. Unfilter is pulling itself up by its bootstraps. There's no network. There's no chase. But all of those things may develop. I had to come back. So many of you have asked for us to relaunch the show. We've been talking about it. And I just couldn't wait any longer. I wanted to start somewhere and get something rolling. I don't know where this will go. I I don't really know if this is going to turn into a, a long-term thing. I don't know what's going to happen exactly. But my commitment is to try to produce as many of these as I can to give you an anchor, something to tie to when things are changing literally hour by hour right now. I am in the hotbed of the corona outbreak in the United States. The Pacific Northwest has changed in the last week. The roads are empty. Businesses are closing down. But you do have to wonder, is there something else going on? Is everybody freaking out over a legitimate reason? Are we overreacting? Is there something else happening in the background that we're not talking about? Well, if those aren't just the perfect conditions for the unfiltered program... I don't know what are. So I hope you'll join me, stick with me as we go through this, as we navigate this. I'm going to be honestly launching a minimum viable product here, getting back up to speed, but I've been following the news and really, now seems like the time. So let's start with COVID-19 because I I think that's probably the most logical place to start. Traditionally, we would have a format with a cyber update and things like that. But I'm just going to skip all of that and focus on the things that are happening right now and moving quickly. Let's jump to some of the extreme measures the states are taking to try to contain the coronavirus. Millions of Americans are already sheltering in place to help slow the spread. The streets of San Francisco have been largely empty since local officials issued an order not to leave your home unless absolutely necessary. Similar scenes are playing out in cities and towns all around the country. Yeah, they don't mention Seattle here in this report. I just can't. Drives me crazy. It's like the same thing that happened with cannabis. We go first and then we don't get the credit for it. Everybody's talking about San Fran and New York City. But I had the opportunity to drive through Seattle for the first time in my life at 72 miles per hour. It was it was glorious. California's governor is also warning that schools may be closed for the rest of the school year. The state of Kansas has already made it official. Just two weeks ago, there were 126 reported coronavirus cases in 17 states. 
Here's where we are now. The virus has spread to all 50 states. There are more than 6,300 reported cases, and at least 109 people have died. And of course, this is already out of date. As you're hearing this, and even as I'm playing this, it develops rapidly. As you would expect, as we develop more tests and more ways to test and more access to these tests, you're going to get more positive reports. New York State has the highest number of reported cases. Mola Lenghi is in a quiet Times Square this morning. Mola, do we know if all the vigilance is actually working? Well, Anthony, good morning. I mean, just take a look around. You know Times Square, typically day or night, uh, is a tourist magnet packed with people. But now rules closing non-essential businesses and limiting public gatherings, uh, it seems to be having an effect. I mean, look. Yeah, he's right. It is sort of a ghost town around there. It is a big difference. People are staying home. I mean, I'd say it's like a 30 to 40 percent reduction in traffic. That's significant. I mean, that's that's obviously a... I mean, it's made a pretty big difference in terms of traffic and commute. Uh, but it's it that's the minor thing about this. The virus itself, obviously, is a respiratory disease that seems to be impacting the elderly the strongest or people who have preconditions. And uh, the thing that seems to be the most insidious about it is those in the less risk categories don't even really sometimes notice they're sick. So that's the tricky thing, right? Because then you tend to spread it. Uh, for better or for worse. Now, some countries have decided, well, the best way to do this would be just to shelter our oldest and most vulnerable. Other countries are deciding to go full panic mode. Midway Tower is going HTC zero. The FAA temporarily closed the air traffic control tower at Chicago Midway International Airport after several technicians were infected. And the Brooklyn Nets confirmed that four of its basketball players, including NBA star Kevin Durant, tested positive. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Anthony Fauci, says this will not be over anytime soon. It probably would be several weeks and maybe longer before we know whether we're having an effect. To help support the response, the Pentagon is giving 5 million respirator masks and 2,000 ventilators to the Department of... Some of these masks, you wouldn't think this, (laughs) but some of these systems are $100,000 or more, and they're buying lots of them. It's an expensive proposition. Five million respirator masks and 2,000 ventilators to the Department of Health and Human Services. Hospitals across the nation have been scrambling to make their medical supplies last. Our first positive case came in last Tuesday, so approximately a week ago. And since then, we've gone through almost six months of supplies. Well, businesses are increasingly encouraging social distancing. Uber and Lyft have suspended pool ride shares. The PGA Golf Championship uh, has been postponed. And hotel giant Marriott is cutting employee hours or uh, just putting them on temporary leave. Or, you know, laying them off, furloughing them, making them apply for unemployment. That part's awful. What's been interesting has been the ramped up response. Obviously, here in Washington, it's been every day our governor has gone live and announced some new dramatic action being taken to try to limit the spread. Trump didn't exactly take that same route. Now, of course, the press is trying to really pound him for this, but he has ratcheted up his response and his administration's response over the last few days again on a daily basis. And today... He invoked a Defense Production Act, which 
kind of turns the military into a bit of industry. Good afternoon. We're coming on the air right now because President Trump is about to hold a briefing with his White House Coronavirus Task Force there in the White House briefing room. You see members of the team. They're waiting for the president and the vice president to come out. As you also see that it's been a relatively rough day on Wall Street. Dow dropped a thousand points at the open has been down. We'll get to the economy in a second. That's part of the thing we're not talking about with this whole virus. Something to note about the optics of this situation, now that we're audio only for right now, is this is Trump's MO. He puts a couple of different experts in this field behind him, and he's been passing the mic to them to answer questions, essentially deferring the heat of the press to these individuals. Between 5 and 6 percent the entire morning, long as more concerns grow at the economic fallout from this crisis and the continued spread across the United States. President Trump expected to push more economic stimulus measures, including direct payments to Americans of at least $1,000. This would be this next stimulus bill to pass as we see the president and the vice president enter the briefing room here now the president of the United States. Thank you very much. I would like to begin by announcing some important developments in our war against the Chinese virus will be invoking the Defense Production Act just in case we need it. In other words, I think you all know what it is. <laughs> I love that when he does this. And no, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole debate about calling it the Chinese virus or not. I see a lot of um, the shows I thought might step up and replace Unfilter uh, getting sucked into that debate. And it just seems like such a distraction. It seems like such an incredible distraction. Meanwhile, tons and tons of resources and money are being dumped by the U.S. government to try to respond to this thing. And here locally, businesses are the ones that are really taking the brunt of our precautions. Team coverage takes us to Snohomish County, where Cairo 7's Ryan Sims is getting answers about what to do now that the Department of Licensing... I should actually note, Mr. Ryan Sims here is just minutes from where I have Lady Jupes parked from where I'm recording right now. We are in Snohomish County as I record this podcast, and this is where he's reporting. I, I actually, I, I even know the building he's standing in front of right now. Yeah, Steve, like so many things lately, this office right here uh, closed very abruptly all day long. We saw customers come in. They see the sign right here, warning of coronavirus. And then if you look over here, as they enter, they see that the office is temporary, temporarily closed. It'll be that way for a week, and it is at every location across the state. I thought it was a bit strange that no one was here, and this must be why. In Linwood, we saw drivers pull up to the DOL office all day long, many of them with no idea that it was even closed. Actually, I'm surprised. Like, this place is usually busy, you know. Uh, it's like getting close is like wow it's like wow <laughs> it's actually it's funny I, I laugh at that guy but i had my it's like wow moment and this is this is how you know it's bad is i was driving into the studio one day and i looked up at the road sign for the local native american reservation casino or indian casino casino and big digital sign said sorry we are closed for your safety I've lived here my entire life. I've never seen that. I've never seen them do that before. That's when I knew it was a big deal. Also, visiting SeaTac and looking around SeaTac, it's a total ghost town. 
This is happening as air traffic is plummeting at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. And Kyra 7's Graham Johnson is there live right now. Graham, the airport released new figures today. Monique, they've been measuring how many people come through security checkpoints. Look behind me. Well, there's absolutely no one waiting. And if you come over here... Until just a moment ago, it was the TSA agents who were waiting for anyone to show up. And where there is usually lines that would make you want to cry, there is nobody. This time last year at the start of the spring break travel season, 50,000 people a day were coming through these checkpoints. Now it's down to 16,000. Now let's let's talk about this for a second here because I think um, if it's not clear yet, my position on the COVID-19 crisis is simply such – um, that I, I consider this to be a bit of an overreaction. Not that we shouldn't take precautions, um, but uh, I, I think if I hadn't gone through one of the worst flus of my life over Christmas and into the new year, I think I maybe I'd have a different perspective. Um, but I was rocked for nearly three weeks by the flu. And I, I wish people were taking that as seriously as they are taking the coronavirus. I really do because – and now this is extremely selfish of me. I'm going to have my Anne Ryan moment here. But uh, when I get sick with a respiratory disease, I can't do shows. I can't, I can't do the very thing that makes my living. Respiratory diseases take out my ability to, to work. Even, even if I were to isolate myself to home. And do uh, just all of the podcasts from home. I, I can't properly do the shows without um, getting better. And I, I find it to be a real struggle bus, to tell you the truth, because the rest of society couldn't give two craps about the flu. But all of a sudden, you all get a really freaked out about something that seems like if you actually get it and you're not in the risk category is milder than what I went through over Christmas. And I just – I just – angry about that i'm angry that all of a sudden we're, we're it's, it, instead of instead of finding a balance we go from zero to a hundred we overreact and now instead of being afraid of a virus i'm afraid of what we're going to do to ourselves trying to overcorrect for this problem Social distancing is not much of a problem in a quiet airport. Today, we saw travelers spreading out at SeaTac. My friends are traveling and they tell me that there's no one in the flight. Omar Qatar is heading to Dubai to wait out the pandemic with his family. He's traveling with sanitizer, a mask, and gloves. I heard there's a lot of cases in Seattle. That's why I was like, I'm just going to take, I just dropped from the bus, go directly to the gate, and run from everyone. <laughs> And that's what everyone is telling me, just to stay away from people. <laughs> As airlines cut back their flight schedules, they're asking for a federal bailout. Oh. This is worse than 9-11 for the airline industry. Airports are also taking a hit. We're going to be asking for $10 billion as an airport um, industry because we're feeling the pinch as well because of the decline in passengers that are coming through the airport. At SEA, 10 shops and restaurants are closed to comply with the new state ban. It breaks our heart to see anything closed. Other food spots have switched to takeout only as tables are now off limits. Here's another impact. This construction project project to rebuild a restaurant area is on hold for a couple of weeks after a construction worker tested positive for coronavirus. SeaTac has 140 hand sanitizer stations with 100 more on the way. President Trump is asking people to avoid unnecessary travel. He continues to get questions about
about restricting travel within the country. It's possible. It's possible. We'll see how it goes. This is my biggest fear. I presently have a significant problem with Lady Jupes that requires repair in the state of Oregon. And if they shut down travel between state borders, I am so screwed. <laughs> I really hope this does not happen. This is the thing I'm watching very closely. travel within the country. It's possible. It's possible. We'll see how it goes. This is why I feel like right now I need to try to do this show as frequently as possible. I will shoot for daily. I don't think it's possible because of so much going on in my life right now. I have kids at home. I have an RV that needs desperate repairs because it can't hook up to shore power to charge. Plus, I have a day job. So it's very tra- – but I just feel like we need that anchor. We need to cover this and we need to keep abreast on what's going on because right now – The coverage of this is being owned by people that you can't trust. And I think the community needs to have a conversation that is genuine about this problem amongst each other. This is a show of its peers. It's something that you can trust because there's no agenda to why we're covering this stuff other than to help inform, inform each other and understand what's going on and maybe, maybe help prevent panic. Try to come at this from a centrist view, a practical standpoint, something that isn't a politically charged attack. You know, I, 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 I won't get into it, but I have been very disappointed how people are turning this into political attacks. Of course they will. Of course that's happening. But that's, that's the exact thing this show is against. It's not about that. And that's why I think, regardless of all this craziness, even if they shut down travel, I've got to try to make this a priority. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Ricting travel within the country. It's possible. It's possible. We'll see how it goes. Here's a look at the Leave Liquid spot at the TSA checkpoint you're probably familiar with. We learned today that if you are traveling by air, you can now carry 12 ounces of hand sanitizer. <laughs> I don't know why that part of the clip made me so happy, but it's like, yes, we've, inclu- we've increased the fluid amount. You can now have 12 ounces of hand sanitizer. So let's talk about how we can keep this show going. Essentially, it's it really comes down to hearing from you, telling me that this is something that you want me to keep doing. I, I, I don't really have anything other than that. Feedback at unfilter.show is the email address or unfilter.show slash contact. At Chris Lass on Telegram, at Chris Lass on Twitter. Just keep me going. If this is something you really want, if I've been getting so many messages, if, if you really me- if you meant it, just keep me going. Just keep me going. Let me know you want this. In the meantime, let's talk about what I'm really concerned about, and that is how badly we are going to screw ourselves. Regardless of what happens with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, regardless, the economic impact of this is already significant. I have family members in both the restaurant business and in the hotel business, and 2020 has been well, it was, it was shaping up to be a good year and so far has turned for the worse for them in a, in a really bad way. And I think the knock-on effects of this are going to be felt for months because something else that isn't being discussed is some of the things that are changing now that won't get fixed for five, six, nine months down the road now. The knock-on effects. Not to mention there's an oil price war. But let's start with the more short-term effects in manufacturing. 
And Kelly, when we first reported this about an hour ago, there were a number of people who said, well, why didn't they announce this last night after the UAW and big three CEOs got together? Remember, initially it was a partial shutdown. Well, now it's a complete shutdown. And the auto manufacturers in the United States are shutting down production. And perhaps it's because they realize that as this virus continues to spread, it makes more sense just to shut down production altogether. So what you're looking at is the big three shutting down their plants effectively after the second shift tomorrow night, usually about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And then they're going to be down for the most part all the way through uh, March 30th, March 31st, 25 final uh, assembly plants here in the United States. And this impacts about 150,000 UAW workers. And oh, by the way, it's not just the big three that are stopping production. Earlier today, Honda came out and said that it will be shutting down production uh, in North America. That impacts its four plants, its four facilities here in North America. And then there's the, the case of Tesla. Now, this is really interesting. Tesla's Fremont, California plant is in one of the counties where they basically have not put a sheltered in place, but they've basically made it so that if it, you're not an essential business, people shouldn't be going there. Well, people were showing up at work today. So it appears that the plant is still open. By the way, we've reached out for Tesla for an official comment here. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, like everybody, just getting hammered in this market. It'll be interesting no, no, to see no, no, if they... No, 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 no. Make oh, an boy. official if they, call here in terms of whether if they shut down the non-essential businesses, I'm I'm screwed because I think an RV repair shop is a non-essential business. <laughs> Worklifeandrv.com is my new RV podcast. If you're curious what I'm talking about, I'm in a bad situation, but I'm not nearly as bad of a situation, and I shouldn't laugh because it really sucks. But they're going to get that Fed Govman. I got breaking news. I want to go to our Phil LeBeau regarding the airline, specifically Delta. And then I'm going to come back to you, Bill. Please don't go anywhere. Phil? I think it's obvious the airlines have gotten just totally trashed by this whole thing. We go back to the same guy who was just talking about the car manufacturers. And he's got this look on his face like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. And he's just shaking his head. Uh, Scott, we'll make this quick. Uh, Delta CEO... Uh, Ed Bastian out with a note right now to employees and in it, a couple of pieces of news. One, they are seeing the revenue decline in March by nearly $2 billion for March compared to last year. That's $2 billion for the month. And remember, last week they cut their uh, capacity by 40%. Well, because the cancellations keep climbing and the bookings are just not there, they are now can uh, canceling up to 70% of their capacity in the month of April. Bottom line is this, Scott. It is getting worse for the airlines. Every CEO says that. It is not getting better. It is getting worse. And we need that nice Fed Muns, the big old bailouts that are coming, um, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think this this picture is not complete without talking about the hit that the stock market is taking. And today, another massive hit. The worst day since 19-freaking-87. As the president was talking, the market was in a free fall. The Dow losing... Uh down almost 3,000 points. I missed the percentage. I think about 13% loss. There's the S&P down 324. NASDAQ down 970. Let's bring in our senior business correspondent, Stephanie Rule. Almost in the moment the president began speaking, we began watching on what was already a bad day become worse, Stephanie. We did, making it the single largest point drop in history. What we saw from the president this afternoon was a really sobering story the warnings he gave, think about the impact they're going to have on the economy. 
bars, restaurants, food courts, no gatherings over 10 people, no fitness centers. Think about what this is going to do for everyday Americans and the way we live our lives. It's like we're pressing pause on the economy. But from the market's perspective, the bills are still coming in. The president said that he would fully back the airline industry, which we know is already looking for a bailout. And you're going to see other industries like cruise lines, like hotel industries. What the president said right now, what we have to do for the next 15 days, this is the most forthright we've seen him as far as let's truly tackle this thing. Let's slow things down. And from a market's perspective, people certainly sound scared. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I would be if I was in the market right now because you're hitting pause on everything. Uh, And the Morgan Stanley CEO says that, yeah. A global recession is underway. Jacob, help us get some perspective on how deep this recession is expected to be versus others then. Give us- now, this is a bit of a technical clip, but I think I think you guys can handle it. These are the hard numbers here uh, and from data that's from somebody in the banking industry. So they're obviously pretty connected to this stuff. Some, uh, give us some numbers. So, um, well, first up, we're scaling this off what we've seen in China in the first two months of the year. This is Jacob Neal. I'm sorry, he's not the CEO. He's the chief economist for Morgan Stanley, and he's the head of the European Economics Division of Morgan Stanley. So he's pretty well qualified. We're scaling this off what we've seen in China in the first two months of the year, Uh, 25% down in investment, 20% down retail sales, 15% industrial production. And that's with a, really a basically untouched January. Um, so um, we think we think five percent quarterly decline in China in the first quarter, four percent in the U.S. in the second, five percent uh, annualized fall in in Europe, the epicenter of the epidemic over the year. Um, to give you some perspective. This is um, a little bit less bad than the GFC, but substantially worse than, for instance, what we saw in 2001. So what he just said there is this is not quite as bad as what we saw in the global financial crisis, but worse than what we saw in 2001. And what's not really being discussed in all of this, I mean, the, the financial impact of the coronavirus seems to be pretty understandable. I think it'll take a while to fully appreciate everywhere that it reached in the economy. But right now, it seems to be understandable and measurable. But there's something else going on that will take many months for us to fully appreciate the impact. And that is a little price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. The price war and the price war that many people thought would fade just as quickly as it started. No sign of that, Amrita. Do you see any sign of it? Now, this is going to impact the global price of oil in a significant way. It it really already has. But the knock-on effects in the U.S. are jobs. Oh, not at all. And this is why we've been telling our clients for a while that this is not going to be short-term. This is here at least through to Q2. If anything, all the indications we're getting is they're digging that yields in, and this might last through year-end. This might last through year-end, this price war. It seems like it's more than just a price war. It's going to be a strategy to attempt to drain the value out of the U.S. producing its own oil. Uh, what timing, Thanks right, as me. we continue to look at continued demand destruction, how long do you expect that this political situation will remain unresolved? 
Well, there's really no incentive right now for either Saudi or Russia to come to the table. They're both using oil as a political weapon. So this-, this is the NASDAQ director of energy and utilities, Tasmar Esner. For either Saudi or Russia to come to the table, they're both using oil as a political weapon. So this is more than just a price war. Uh, we think that Russia really wants to harm U.S. shale industry. Um, they don't necessarily need to see bankruptcy, but they want to make U.S. shale less globally significant uh, in terms of the supply demand imbalances. And uh, Saudi really wants to punish Russia for basically being a free rider on this OPEC agreement that's been in place since 2016. Russia has basically just kept production flat, but they haven't really cut back the way that they said they would, and they haven't really followed through on their planned investments uh, within Saudi Arabia. So I think that the main collateral damage is going to come to U.S. shale because they cannot hold out for as long as Saudi and Russia can. But even though Saudi and Russia are both feeling the pain of lower prices, they can withstand this for quite some time. Oh, good. Oh, good. So that'll take four to five to six months because a lot of these uh, companies here in the U.S. are hedged. They've they've got time, but they don't have much more than four to five months before it really starts to impact them. That's why you're hearing things like the Fed's pumping money or that the House and Senate are working to advance a $1.3 trillion treasury proposal. Eyes turn now to Capitol Hill, where we are going to watch a socially distanced Senate take up an elongated vote on the second coronavirus relief bill. This is the one that provides roughly $105 billion worth of paid sick leave to an estimated 40 million Americans. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has doubled the allotted time for this vote because he doesn't want lawmakers to be congregating in this chamber. Now, not all lawmakers have liked this bill. Senator Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida, whose state is heavily exposed to tourism and the cruise industry, thinks that it unfairly incentivizes companies to lay workers off instead of providing this benefit. But he said that the Treasury Secretary urged lawmakers yesterday to go ahead and pass this and then make any changes that they need to in any follow-up legislation. I love that one. Pass it now and fix it later. Pass it so it's law and then attempt to fix it. (laughs) It's such a good one. It's going to be a four-phase relief package. Phase one is $8.5 billion and goes to vaccines and research and development. Phase two is $105 billion additional dollars, which goes towards sick leave and unemployment funds. Phase three is $150 to somewhere like $1.3 trillion for economic support, quote, end quote. And then phase four, the final phase, would be $45.8 billion. I'm going to say it again. $45.8 billion. Just for federal agencies. Because the big deal is what comes next. And that is this one $1.3 trillion stimulus bill that the Treasury is putting together and could send to the Hill as soon as the end of this week. I'm told that both the House and Senate bipartisan leaders are working with the Treasury to put together a clean bill that is easily passable in each chamber. And aides tell me that the soonest that that could be taken up for a vote is Friday. That's cute about this kind of thing is all of a sudden they're they're capable of passing clean bills when necessary? How about we do that all the time? How about we do that all the time? I know there's been some rumors of the number. Uh, It is a big number. This is a very unique situation in this economy. We've put a proposal 
on the table that would inject a trillion dollars into the economy that is on top of the 300 billion from the IRS deferrals. Now, let me just say. Mommy needs a joint. Yeah, let me just say. Say it again, mommy. Mommy needs a joint. So that's a lot of money. And that's one of the stories that is not fully being covered here is the long-term ramifications this will have to the economy. But if you go even deeper, there's something even more insidious you're not being told about right now. If you are staying current on the news, if you follow my show, Linux Unplugged, or the EFF, you may have heard of the Earn It Act. It's a Lindsey Graham special. Good morning. Uh, thank you all for attending this, what I think is going to be a very important hearing. And Oh, yeah. Senator Blumenthal, I want to thank you for the hard work you've put into drafting this piece of legislation. Senator Feinstein is on the way. Remember these names, Graham, Blumenthal, Feinstein. They are enemies of the people, and they are stooges of the intelligence agency. She said it would be okay if we got started. Uh, I normally don't say a whole lot in opening statements, but I might take a bit of time today. Because this is just so damn important, right, Lindsay? Uh, I want to introduce into the record my full statement that I'll introduce into the record without objection. Uh, Actually, I object. And kind of remind people what brought us here today. Okay, here we go. So what uh, what, uh, menu item do you think Lindsay's going to pick here? Hmm? If you were Lindsey Graham, what would you pick? You've got so many options. Of course, you could cite a recent terrorism situation. You could cite, actually, instead of terrorism, let's cite COVID-19. Perhaps someone has COVID-19 information that's locked up on a smartphone that could help us cure it faster. But damn encryption. Now, okay, that's too much. That's too much. We need something that, you know, feels better. Something that really resonates with the people. In July, we had a hearing about sexual exploitation of children. Oh, the children! <laughs> Social media applications, technical companies having... Words that seem like they should go together. Social media applications, technical companies having data. Yeah, that's a fucking problem. About child exploitation Mm, yeah that's a real let's we we better ban all encryption you know all encryption children social media applications technical companies having data about child exploitation yeah they're just sitting on it and i'm trying to find a way to child proof oh there it is there it is Look, we all love technology. The iPhone sure is great. GPS is a whiz-bang feature, kids. But we gotta child-proof this, just like your aspirin. And I'm trying to find a way to child-proof these systems. (laughs) Okay, so aside, like, uh, all of Lindsey Graham's, like, Save the Children stuff aside... The thing that I don't like about the Earn It Act is simply that it it creates a council of people who have no idea what they're talking about that will dictate to tech companies how they should do business. I'll link to a Schneier on Security post. He writes, prepare for another attack on encryption in the U.S. The Earn It Act proposes to be about protecting children from predators. I'll just say that. Um, but it's really about forcing tech companies to break their encryption schemes. 
Not my words. This is Bruce Schneier. He's got a great write-up about it, and I will link to that. I think that's really the definitive piece you should read. However, Steve Gibson on Twit's Security Now does a great summary as well. I'll play that for you. Okay. So Lindsay get a load Graham. of this. It's Lindsay Graham and Dick Blumenthal, the get a load sponsors of this. Of this. Yeah. Uh, what is it that strong data encrypting companies would be earning? The legislation proposes to strip the to strip the protection provided by section 230 of the communications decency act from certain apps and companies which would then hold them responsible for user uploaded content unless they provide a means for lawful access to their encryption protected content in other words they're holding ransom the, yeah, because these the are unrelated issues. Yes. <coughs> Steve's got a little corona there. <sighs> the Earn It Act. This, my friends, is what I'm worried about. Of course I'm concerned about the coronavirus. How could I not be in the Seattle area? And I, I want to see this pass. Let's flatten that curve. Let's avoid cratering the economy. But in the meantime... Could we not undermine security of all of future U.S. citizens? <laughs> like, is that so much to ask? Apparently it is. Apparently it is. I'll have links in the show notes where you can take action. You can get more information about the Earn it Act. I'd also like to hear what you think about the Minimum Viable podcast. Remember, lowered expectations for this. But I'd love to know what you think. Let me know on filter.show slash contact. Or I'm on Twitter, at ChrisLAS. You can also give a shout-out to my buddy, Chase, at Nunes. He's still around. He's, I'm, I'm going to try to rope him into this. I'm going to try to rope. I just had to get something off the ground. So, so ping him on Twitter. Say holler. And then let me know what you think. Links to everything we talked about, unfilter.show slash 291. You can get that there. I might also do future episodes live. I just didn't have enough connectivity today. Lady Jupes is in full zombie apocalypse mode right now, my friends. I am keeping her mobile, primarily because I, I can't plug into shore power. My relays are busted, so I got to keep moving. But it seemed like the appropriate time to do just that kind of thing. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in this episode of the Unfiltered Program, and I'll see you really soon. Mm-hmm.